Sounds good. Can you start us off with a word of prayer? Absolutely. Lord, we thank you so much that we can share in fellowship with brothers and sisters uh, all around the world, and a fellowship that is made possible through salvation in Christ Jesus, uh, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and through a shared love for the truth. Uh, Lord, I thank you that there are brothers and sisters uh, all over the world that share the same convictions we do about your truth and have seen the power of your word at work in their life and in their churches. Uh, and I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that there are brothers all across the globe who are faithfully preaching your word verse by verse, uh, digging out the truth of your word uh, for the salvation of sinners and the sanctification of your saints. And Lord, even as we uh, talk about that very subject this evening, uh, we're cognizant of the fact that all of that is only made possible by uh, your undeserved grace in our lives. And so we thank you for that grace. And we pray on the basis of that grace and in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. This is Truth Talks. Welcome back, everyone, to the Truth Talks podcast. I'm your host, Buddy Boone. With me today, uh, not so far away uh, from where we are, is the pastor of Grace Community Church, Delaware, uh, over there. And is that Newcastle, Delaware? Yeah, that's where we're at. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Just south of Wilmington. Yep. Yep. Newcastle, Delaware is, uh, the pastor. His name is pastor Paul Shirley. How you doing today, sir? I'm doing well. I'm excited to be with you, buddy. Awesome. Yeah. Really excited to be with you and talk about uh, a few things. Um, you wrote a book. Uh, I don't even know when you wrote this book. How, how long ago was it? Wasn't that long, right? Uh, yeah, uh, 2019, I think. Something okay. Like that. Yep. 2019 uh, is a copyright. Yeah. And, yep. um, and it's called expository sanctification. Um, I actually came across the book because of a conference that we, uh, my wife and I went to at, uh, Hope Bible church. Um, yep. and it was kind of like the freebie in the bag. And yeah. I said, well, let me, uh, get dig into the to the book a little bit and uh it took me all this time to actually read the book uh it's a it's not a it's a really rich meal a imagine a piece of chocolate cake that you just it's really good but you can't you only have just a little bit at a time uh that's that's this book and i want to talk a little bit about it obviously um you know, I'm going to leave a link, uh, hopefully in the comments so you all can see and, and grab this book. It's a really short read, but it's a heavy read. Um, I want to start off the conversation, Pastor Paul, about and, and with you kind of defining uh, the book. Well, actually, before that, what made you write the book? That should be the first question I should ask. Why, why expository sanctification? Where did this come from? How'd you get to writing the book? You know, I think it started off with an observation I made in pastoral ministry that um, the most mature believers I had in the church, uh, the most useful saints and servants that I had in the ministry were those who loved the preaching of the word. Hmm. Uh, there, there, was a, there was a deep uh, um, reverence for the word of God preached, not so much for the preacher, but the proclamation of the word of God. Mm-hmm. 
And one of the things I noticed is that the, the sweetest saints or the softest hearts were often the ones who, who were saturating themselves with good preaching, mm-hmm. uh, not just finding churches that were faithful to preach the word, but even uh, using uh, uh, their phones or their devices to fill their minds even further with the truth. And, and, uh, then I began to notice, you know, the churches that are often the healthiest churches are those where the word of God is front and center in the preaching of the word of God. And that really drove me back to the scriptures to say, why, why is that? What's going on there? And, and, and why is it that, that preaching, particularly expository preaching, preaching that's main uh, emphasis, main subject matter is the text of scripture, that th- this kind of preaching is uniquely powerful in the lives of God's people. And, and what I saw is it's not a coincidence. This is how God has designed for his word to go forth. And this is how God has designed for his people to grow. Uh, we we uh, grow as God intended, when we're sitting under the word of God in ways that God intended. And that's not exclusively the preaching of the word, mm-hmm. but it is, to use the language of the Westminster uh, uh, Catechism, it's especially under the preaching of the word that we grow. And, you know, one of the things I found is that, you know, you know, the book that I've written is is really anybody could have written it. Any of the guys that you know that are getting after it from the pulpit and preaching, even your own preacher, uh, Pastor Matt White, who I'm a little intimidated. He's he's normally on a show. <laughs> I don't I don't know if I can fill a podcast like Matt could. Uh, uh, he's he's on another level than me. Uh, but but Matt could have written the book. Uh, it, any expositor could have written the book. Um and it's the experience of so many people in so many churches that get to a place where the word of God is preached the way it should be preached. And people begin to grow and they just say, I, you know, I've never experienced anything like this. Mm-hmm. And, and, and all it is, is you're under the word of God in the way you're supposed to be under the word of God. And the church is being driven by the pulpit the way it's supposed to be driven by the pulpit. And and then you start to just see the the benefits of that. Mm-hmm. And and the sad thing about it, buddy, is that th- this people come to my church, and I know you see this uh, in your own experience as well. People are like, man, this is crazy. I've never seen anything like this. And, and the sad thing is it is a unique thing, but it shouldn't be. This is the way it should be done. Mm-hmm. And, and that's one of the things that I want people to understand from the book is that this is how scripture uh, lays it out there. This is how scripture talks about how we should grow through the hearing of the word. Uh, and this is how scripture talks about how we should be preaching the word of God and, and prioritizing it in the church. So that's a little bit of background on how I came about kind of doing the work for it. Hmm. Well, that was a lot of substance there. Let, let me back up, back you up for a second. One thing that stuck out was this should not be unique. Um, yeah are you saying that it is unique? Cause one of the questions that I had was about the state of the church currently. Um, one of the preachers that you mentioned in the book was uh, the Prince of preachers, uh, Charles Spurgeon. But then you also mentioned the King of preachers, uh, which would be Christ himself. I, I wonder yeah. with, <laughs> I, I see this meme all the time and it always comes up, you know, randomly. It's like, 
if Paul was alive today, some of y'all's churches would be getting letters or the church itself would be getting letters. With the state of the church today, why is it important? Why is the focus on preaching important? Well, I, I think one of the things that I'm trying to combat with the book is the onslaught of pragmatism. Mm. I think pragmatism has taken over the church. The idea that we've got to reinvent how ministry is done. Mm. Uh, the idea that we should be focused on results rather than principles. Doing what we think will work rather than doing what God has said. That's really kind of the the culture of the church in America today. It's it's absolutely pragmatic. And, and uh, uh, as a result of that, you see churches have, have strayed not only from the principles of God's word, but the preaching of God's word. I mean, if, if you're compromising the truth of God's word in the philosophy of ministering your church, how can you get up in front of people and preach it? Hmm. You know, I mean, when, when, when you're not doing what Paul says a New Testament church should do, how can you get up and preach through the pastoral epistles? Your people start to have a lot of questions. Well, wait a minute. If, if that's what Paul said, then why are we doing it this way? Mm -hmm. And and so pragmatism and the decline of the pulpit have gone hand in hand. Uh, because one of the one of the effects of faithful preaching is um, is that it is revealing. Uh, it'll reveal real quickly somebody's spiritual appetite. It'll, it'll, it'll reveal real quickly uh, whether or not somebody is truly regenerate or not. Mm. And, and sometimes that can have an effect on your numbers at church. And sadly, people think of it this way, the bottom line at church. Mm. And, and all of those things are off-putting to the pragmatic movement because the pragmatic movement says, Let's do whatever we can to reach as many people as possible. And inevitably, what you have to do is you have to water things down and make it as superficial as possible. And that desire for superficiality in order to be as broad as possible, it just doesn't jive with true expository preaching. And so that's what you see. You, got to, you have a bunch of people that are kind of hepped up on religious emotions and uh, superficial sentiments, and uh, the the word of God is not prioritized the way it should be. Sorry, my Alexa just started acting crazy because my uh, my family is is having fun. Wow, yeah. Sorry about that. Um, yeah, I, I'm sorry. I, I cut you off. You were really uh, you were going really on about the uh, the 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 pragmatic state of the church and um gathering my thoughts here it sounded like you were saying that because they are basically running the church as as a as a corporation um running the church sure. to appeal to a a customer um instead of a yeah. parishioner uh that's what it sounded like you were yeah 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 no that's that's exactly right and then you know it takes a lot of work uh, to do the kind of dog and pony show, if you're going to do the 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 glitter bombs and the the knockoff Taylor Swift concerts, wow, uh, that takes a ton of of work to do, and that doesn't leave a lot of time for preparing expository messages. And you right. see that 
Mm-hmm. You see that. So you got a church that is as slick and shiny as you can imagine. Uh, but then the preacher clearly hasn't had his rear end in his seat studying the word of God the way he should. Hmm. And how could he? How could he have time to do that when he's when he's trying to run the logistics on a, a concert or event every week? Hmm. Um, and and so the, the, the preaching just becomes superficial because there's no time left in it. Uh, and it just reveals that there's no the preaching of the word is not a priority there. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I'm trying to get to. If you really want to care for people, you'll preach the word. If you really want to care for people, you preach the word because God designed for people to grow through the preaching of the word. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so it has to be a priority from, from, uh, from, from the elders of the church uh, or whatever your church polity is to the, to the pew. Uh, it has to be the priority that we need the word of God proclaimed to us. Yeah. And it seems like, or feels like you're kind of skipping to one of my favorite chapters. Um, it, well, it's, it's kind of a tie between uh, chapter five and chapter six. Um, one thing that I have really come to come to grips with being at Belcroft. And I know that a lot of people that would listen or just are a member of this church, listen to this podcast or a member of this church are coming across the same thing. You mentioned it before. It's that watered down uh, preaching. And chapter five is the title is the grace of preaching. Um, yeah. Kind of give me an overview of that. Why is preaching a grace? Like, what is it about preaching that is actually a grace? Yeah, you know, I think one of the things that's helpful to do is to make sure that you have, you know, or just people in general is what I mean by that. But but for, for believers to make sure that they understand uh, uh, the means of grace, that, that God is gracious and he shows us grace, but that grace goes far beyond just the initial forgiving grace of conversion. That, that the Lord continues to be gracious to us throughout our entire Christian life. Hmm. Um, you know, the psalmist says that God is a very present help in times of trouble. Hmm. Uh, that's a good way of thinking of his helping grace in our life. And, and the grace that he shows us, it's not some kind of just a, a vague kind of spiritual platitudinal grace. It's specific. We can know where to find that grace when we need it, uh, and it's it's very ordinary in our life. In fact, you can go to Scripture and say, "Here are the here are the instruments that God has defined in Scripture and said that He's going to use to help me more like Jesus." And that's just what theologians throughout the years have called the means of grace. That that there are specific means that God uses. So. Prayer is a means of grace. Mm-hmm. If you really, if you say, well, I just need God to be gracious to me. Okay. Then you need to be praying because that's an instrument. He said, he's going to give you grace through mm-hmm. uh, the word of God is a means of grace. The church is a means of grace. Discipleship is a means of grace. Lord's supper, baptism, means of grace. Uh, and, and, and so in that chapter, chapter five, I, I'm, I'm kind of fleshing out this concept of the means of grace. And I'm saying out of all the means of grace, the, the one that you especially need to make sure is present in your life is the preaching of God's word. Uh, that, that of all the means of grace that God uses, 
uh, the preaching of the word is is going to be potent in your life. And, and part of the reason for that is, I mean, Romans 10 says uh, uh, faith comes by hearing, hearing and hearing the word of Christ. Mm-hmm. And, and so we walk by faith. So God gives us his grace so that our faith can be strengthened so that we can walk in holiness. Okay, well, there's a principle right there. Romans 10, faith comes by hearing. I need to be sitting under the word of God uh, so that my faith can be strengthened uh, to be able to face whatever, whatever's going to come about by God's providence in my life. Uh, uh, the, the preaching of God's word is, is a, a unique tool that God uses in that regard to make sure that, that we are growing in Christ likeness. Mm-hmm. That is, that's great. I think that the, um, one of the things that popped out, uh, on the very first page of this and I highlighted it, um, was the, if you want to grow in the Lord, you need to submit to faithful preaching as a means of grace. And, you know, how many times have we, or, you know, churches, that have had faithful preachers that have had people that have been doing the work, you know, with their butt in the seat studying that they find a member of the church that has not submitted to that, uh, faithful preaching. Um, the, when we don't accept those graces, um, you know, the, we, when we don't pray, uh, when we look at the Lord's supper as just a, uh, a thing that we do constantly. How right. how is that? How does that affect the church as a whole? Obviously, with you know the personal uh, folks, you know that don't do the work. You know it's uh, that's obvious. But how is it that? Yeah. How does that affect the church as a whole? You know, a, a congregation or you know the church, the Catholic, the, the the holy Catholic Church, the universal church. Yeah. Well, I mean, you you the the less grace you have the the weaker you're going to be yeah you know and so if god said okay here's the pipelines of grace mm-hmm. here's where my help is coming from here are the lifelines and the church when the church ignores those lifelines and instead says you know what we're going to we're going to pursue spiritual growth based on how we feel or we're going to pursue spiritual growth based on how the world says we should do things when the mm-hmm. church does that they're 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 distancing themselves from the grace of God that would provide them with that help. You know, there are so many spiritual fads that Christians fall into that are just mm-hmm. but some of them, you know, they 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 go out of style just as quick as they they, they came into style. Mm-hmm. And you look back on some of them, some of them are just so so goofy. Mm-hmm. And you say, why do why why are you doing that? You know, and, and I think a lot of it's just ignorance of people not understanding, you know what. God has actually given me really practical things that I can do mm-hmm. in order to receive his grace and see growth, see victory over sin. You know, and so we're trying to invent all these crazy ways to be spiritual. Meanwhile, it's just like, hey, go up the church, listen to the preaching and believe and do what a faithful sermon says you should believe and do. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Like, like the rest of it will come together. You don't need to read 
you know, 15 articles on the Gospel Coalition website mm-hmm. on, you know, how you as a Protestant can practice Lent, which isn't a means of grace in the Bible, <laughs> or how 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 the new Barbie movie has redemptive themes in it. So go see the Barbie movie to be encouraged in Christ. Mm-hmm. All these things are just silliness. Yeah. We, we've got meat in front of us. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got grace available to us. And we run off to all these other things to do that make us feel spiritual or that allow us to get as close up to the world as possible. And then we try to sanctify it with Christian language. And it's no wonder that 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 Christians and churches are just very weak. They're alienated from the, the vital means of grace. Mm, yeah. Can you give us, uh, we've said it, and I, I want to make sure we're defining our terms, um, th- expository like exactly what that actually means and then we'll move into some of the other uh uh, terms that are being used so what is expository yeah well that's one of the things i try to bring out in the book as well that you know there there is a type of preaching that will help you and there's a type of preaching that will not help you Mm -hmm. uh so uh if you turn on the the doodah channel and you find some some nut job on there just screaming into a mic and waving a handkerchief and mm-hmm. asking for money that's not the kind of preaching we're talking about yeah. that's not what we're talking about that's not that's not preaching that's mm-hmm. not preaching you know uh uh what we're talking about is 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 expository preaching which if if i would if if i was defining expository preaching which i believe i do in the book but mm-hmm. uh if i was asked to define it off the cuff Expository preaching takes a, a, a spirit-inspired text of Scripture and and declares three things. Here, here's what it says. Here's what it means. Here's what it requires. That's what a good expository sermon does. It unpacks the truth of Scripture so that listeners know, okay, I know what this text is saying. I, I, I understand it in its context. I see what it's saying. And now... It's been explained to me. I understand the meaning of it. It's been interpreted for me. And then now I understand the implications it has for my life. I've been exhorted with what I must believe or do based on this text. Hmm. You know, what what does this text teach me about God? I need to believe that. And I've been exhorted in that. And so there there is uh, uh, an explanatory uh, function to expository preaching, teaching, and then there's also a, a, an exhortative function to preaching. You're exhorted in it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think sometimes people, they kind of like the, the, the teaching, the explanatory side of expository preaching, but the exhortation and the truth, mm-hmm. you know, the part that might make you feel guilty, they don't like mm-hmm. that as much. Right. I remember I, I, had a, I had a gal many years ago when I first first came to the area and was part of the church plant here. I had a gal come up to me and said, pastor, I just, I love your preaching. Like when you explain all the background and you explain all the stuff from the times of Christ and, and you explain all those things, I just love that. But I really don't enjoy it very much Mm. when you start talking about the heart and, and those kind of things. Is there any way you could just do the, the, the stuff Mm. about explaining the details and not talk about the heart stuff? In other words, yeah, I, I want to feed my kind of brain, but I don't want my heart exhorted with the truth. Uh, but that's a part of it. 
that's a part of it. You, you should leave an expository sermon, first of all, knowing what the passage means. And then, and then secondly, you, you should have been exhorted with the truth of that passage uh, on, on what you need to believe, how you need to respond, um, you know, how you should trust Christ because of who Christ is more from mm-hmm. that text. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's what expository preaching is. It's, it's going through the Bible with people. Uh, it's, it's, it's studying God's word the way it should be. And then exhorting people with that. You know, every time I open up, uh, uh, God's word on Sunday morning, I don't, I, I don't even do this on purpose. I just, it's basically every Sunday I, I end up saying, Hey, we're going to continue our study of scripture today together. We're studying the Bible together. And, and it's not the same as a Bible study because uh, I'm not taking questions mid sermon at our church. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, but, but we are all engaging in the study of scripture together and that's what a good expository sermon will do. Yeah. And, and then the, the next part, cause what it seems like to me, what you did with the title, at least you took expository preaching and then you uh, kind of added uh sanctification and, and came up with the expository sanctification. I don't know yep. uh, uh, an adjective. I, I, I'd say, you know, reactive sanctification. I, w- I will put, kind of put it that way. So kind of now uh, lead us into what that expository preaching should do in the act of expository sanctification. Well, I think that, um, you know, I, I think that, you know, a good sermon is going to expose a text and then exhort listeners with what to do with that text. Uh, and and then as listeners are hearing the word of God preached, uh, they have a responsibility to understand, believe and submit. Mm. Uh, I, I need to I need to work to understand what this passage means. Um, you know, I think that there is. Um, there's a lot of people who find preaching boring because they're not engaging their minds in it, Mm. you know? And, and so you, you, uh, uh, as a believer in church have a responsibility to engage your mind in understanding the text of scripture. You shouldn't want it spoon fed or bottle fed to you. You should be ready to chew on some meat. You know, and you know what? Sometimes a preacher doesn't do a great job. I'll admit that. Sometimes you're eating the steak and there's a little gristle in there. That happens. Mm-hmm. But but you don't become a vegan because you got a little gristle in your ribeye. You know, mm-hmm. uh, if the preacher's not clear on something, okay, that 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 happens. But but you, you don't abandon the the whole uh, idea of expository preaching because of that. Uh, uh, so you, you've got to do the work, show up Mm. ready to study God's word. Um, and then you've got to be ready to engage your faith. Mm. You got to be ready to believe what it says. Mm -hmm. Uh, we're not just, you know, dropping facts. This isn't the history channel. You know, it's not Christian history channel. Yeah. Uh, this is, this is the faith once for all laid down for the saints. And, and so You've got a responsibility to to show up saying, you know what, I want my faith to be strengthened uh, uh, through this. I, if if the Spirit's going to convict me, then then I want to be be ready for that. Mm-hmm. And then when that happens, you got to believe it. But then when that happens, you got to submit. Mm-hmm. You got to submit to the Word of God. 
Um, you know, I, I don't think, uh, I, I'm not saying that people in my church need to submit to everything that I say, but if I, if what I say is true from scripture, then they need to submit to God in that. Mm. And, um, and we need to be ready for that. We need to be ready for that. And, you know, it's interesting. I, I think a lot of churches, they try to brand themselves as, you know, a place of hope, a place of encouragement. And look, I want my people to, to, to have hope and I want them to be encouraged, but not if they're living in sin, bro. Mm. I mean, like, yeah. like if you show up to my church and you're living in sin, you're, you're, you're living with, your girlfriend or something like that. And you know, you're living in sin. I don't want you to come hear my sermon and then walk out the doors being like, man, I'm so encouraged. Mm. I, you're living in sin. I want you to walk out of there feeling like a dog under the conviction of the Holy spirit. Mm. Cause I know the spirit is trying to work conviction in your life. So as a preacher, I'm not trying to get out of the way of that. I'm trying to let the spirit work how he, how he needs to. Mm-hmm. And the spirit takes his truth and he's going to use it to comfort some hurting, faint-hearted saint, but but he's also going to use it to to convict someone who's in sin. Mm-hmm. And and what people in the congregation need to do is they need to show up ready to submit to that work of the Spirit. Um, I, I, I find it so interesting. Everybody, you know, sometimes, you know, I'm obviously not charismatic, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and, uh, so sometimes, you know, it's like, oh, man, you non-charismatics, where's the spirit, you know, and and uh, we just need the spirit more in our church. Okay, I'm all for the Holy Spirit. Uh, but but I think from Scripture, you see some cl- pretty clear teaching that the spirit is most at work in a congregation through the word of God. Mm-hmm. And one of the things the spirit does is he convicts people. He mm-hmm. convicts people of their sin. In fact, uh, uh, John and uh, John 16 talks about one of the things he does is he convicts the whole world. So mm. if, I, if I've got the world showing up on my church, leaving saying, boy, that's just the most encouraging, sweetest guy I've ever met in my life, mm. you know, uh, and, and boy, that, that was just a message of hope. I don't believe in Christ, but I can appreciate that. Mm. I'm starting to question well, <laughs> what am I doing here? Yeah. Because, because the spirit, uh, will often do a convicting work that doesn't feel so good, but it's mm-hmm. restorative for the believer. And and so what the congregation has to do each week is show up ready to engage their brain. I mean, I've got I, I I've got kids. Everybody wants to send their kids off to children's church. I got kids in my church doing algebra. You know, I can't do algebra. I forgot all that. I learned mm-hmm. that enough to pass the test. And then, <laughs> I mean, I became a pastor in part because God called me, but in part, so I never have to do any more math in my life. Right. You know, I'm allergic, I'm allergic to spreadsheets, you know, <laughs> and, but I got kids in my, in my church that are learning algebra. I got a kid in calculus. I got, I got kids learning biology and chemistry. And I got some kids in my uh, uh, church learning Latin in, in second grade, they can sit and they can listen to a sermon. Mm -hmm. They can do it, you know, and that should be the expectation of God's people show up and engage that you're not going to have mind renewal. If you're not engaging your mind with the truth and the sermon on Sunday morning should be a time when you're ready to do that. I'm showing up and I'm ready to do my part in the work and engage in this. Uh, And then I'm ready to believe 
if I see it in scripture, I'm going to believe it. And then if scripture says something that I got to change, I'm going to submit to it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you got a church full of people that shows up with that mentality, you, you got a church that's going to be seeing people discipled. You got a church that's going to see new people come to Christ. Uh, you better you better get uh, a pool somewhere for people to get baptized. If you got a church full of people that show up like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Or you can just uh, baptize them in the river at Camp Wabana. Yeah. That's that's exactly right. Exactly yeah. right. Yeah. So um, one thing that you had had mentioned, um, it was kind of a, a passing comment, but what I wrote down is the authority of preachers. And I, I see so many times in the modern church that a lot of people mm-hmm. just kind of go with uh, the preacher, you know, whatever, whoever that person may be, you know, and especially in uh, I would I would say even in our camp, you know, it's like they get into this idea of, you know, and 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 if we could and if they could rewrite scripture, they say, I follow John, meaning John MacArthur, right. you know, well, I follow yeah. Paul, <laughs> meaning Paul Shirley, yeah. you know, yeah. um, I follow Matthew, you know, I follow George, you know. Yeah, yeah. With with that authority that they have, um, what is what should be or what what kind of I'd say uh, responsibility does that preacher have? And you mentioned them putting their butt in the seat and actually doing the work to expose it. Yeah, that's a he- that's a heavy responsibility because the scripture does say that that uh, the church is to obey its leaders, mm-hmm. and and that puts the responsibility square on those leaders shoulders to say, well, you better live a life that is respectable. If, if, if God's going to command the church to respect its leaders, you better live a life that's respectable and your message better be from scripture because my authority as a preacher ends with scripture. Mm -hmm. I, I, the second I step across the line into my opinion, uh, leaving scripture and going into my opinion, I have no authority. I have mm-hmm. no authority. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the interesting thing to me. That's the interesting thing to me. There are so many people that look at a guy like MacArthur and listen to his preaching. Let's just talk about his preaching. Mm-hmm. And they'll say, that's just, that, that's just angry. Mm-hmm. He's just so angry. Mm-hmm. And that's just so authoritative. And that's just, I, I just, I don't like that. That's off-putting to me. And it's like, oh, who do you like to listen to? And they're, oh, I just love that guy, Andy Stanley. Mm-hmm. Andy Stanley's so great. Mm-mm. And uh, Andy Stanley, uh, uh, the poser, I mean, uh, the pastor. But um, uh, The New Testament-only like, pastor. <laughs> right. Well, he's ready to get rid of all the passages in the New Testament. I talk about homosexuality and yeah. sin as well. So, yeah. but but here's the interesting thing about that to me. MacArthur is giving people an expository sermon that like you can you can complain about Pastor John all you want, okay? Uh and and, and you can criticize all you want, but what you can't say is that his sermons aren't thoroughly biblical. Mm. Like like you cannot level that criticism again and get a hearing with me because mm-hmm. I mean, he's the guy's in the text. He's pointing straight to the text of scripture and saying, here's what it means. Mm-hmm. So so if, if you don't like that, it's ironic to me that you would like Andy Stanley, because all that dude is doing is giving you his opinions, his perspective, 
his own wisdom, Mm -hmm. which is the very definition of lording it over somebody. Mm. You know, know, uh, first Peter five says that elders in the church are not to lord it over their people. Well, when would a, a, an, an elder cross that line into lording over? It's it's when he requires something of his people that scripture doesn't require. Mm. Okay, so now you got a message like John, and you're like, uh, you know, MacArthur, you're like, I don't like this guy. He's he's all he's he's too authoritative. Well, that's coming straight from scripture. That's not his opinion. Mm-hmm. You get a guy like Andy Stanley. He's all sweet and smiley and, and wearing jeans and got his bar stool, but all he's giving you is his opinion. That is lording it over people. Mm. And, and, and so that's what's so ironic to me is that people are flocking to, to these sermons that are not rooted in scripture. All you're getting is the opinions of man. And that by definition is a misuse of authority in the church. Mm. Um, so you may not like the suit jacket and the style of preaching or whatever, but look, the scriptures are what's authoritative. And if you've got a guy preaching the word, there's going to be an authority to that. There's, there's a sobriety to that. Mm-hmm. That's, that's one of the things I love, um, about, uh, going back and listening to recordings of Lloyd Jones. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no doubt when you, when you listen to Martin Lloyd Jones, There's absolutely no doubt that this guy takes scripture deadly serious. Yeah. I mean, he is, he is, he is, this is a serious thing for him. Mm -hmm. And he would even say, look, when he would do the welcome at church, he wouldn't even welcome people. He he wouldn't even say, I'm glad you're here. He's like, it's God's house, not mine. It's not my place to welcome him. Mm -hmm. And it was just all business. Now I don't go that far. You know, Mm -hmm. I, uh, that's, that's, that's not how I'm wired necessarily, Mm -hmm. but I love listening to his preaching because i know this is of eternal importance you know and so when you when you got preachers that kind of just acting sophomoric they're getting up there goofing around uh uh, they're not taking it seriously uh that that's just inappropriate there should be a seriousness there is an authority to it uh but that authority is rooted in the authority of scripture Mm. Yeah. And since it's, uh, it's, since it's, you know, an authority of scripture, uh, I like what you said where when pastors step outside of that authority, uh, they're then stepping into their own, um, into their own realm. Uh, I'm reminded, uh, of the passing of, uh, a pastor Carlton Pearson. Have you heard of Carlton Pearson? I have he not was, initiated so, me. Yeah. So he actually was uh, back in the 90s when I was in the church that I came from, which completely messed me up theologically for years. um, I remember the Azusa. There was a the Azusa conference that kept happening. We were that was my first simulcast as a as a as a you know young kid. So it was like I saw the Azusa and Pastor Carlton Pearson was the guy. So he could sing. You know, he was uh, an entertainer of goats, basically. And one of the things that he was, you know, huge on the map, you know, he was one of those people that if you had a conference, uh, you would if you had Carlton Pearson come, you would have a lot of people show up. Um, What happened was uh, one day he came with the uh, the idea uh, that uh, everybody was going to heaven. He could not 
uh, come to the to the idea and to the to to grips with the fact that God would actually have wrath that he couldn't read the he said he couldn't read the Bible and understand that anybody would go to hell. And when he did that, you know, there were a lot of people that condemned him, but then there were a lot of people that accepted him completely. And they were especially, I mean, very, very adamant about the fact that he is right. He is right. At his funeral, uh, a friend of mine actually did a, 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 a summary of this. At his funeral, um, one of the the pastors that's really popular right now, Mike Todd. Uh, you've you've heard of Mike Todd, I'm I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he uh he was saying how he just knew that Carlton Pearson uh was in heaven uh just because of you know seeing him as a kid in his church. So he's on that coast. I'm on this coast watching you know him grow. Uh, uh watching him you know uh, advance and. I'm seeing this and the authority that he had really struck me because I started to think, man, God's wrath, God's, how could God have wrath? When you mentioned Martin Lloyd-Jones, the very first thing I thought of was his preaching through the book of Romans and how long it took him to go through the book of Romans. You know, when I think of that, you know, one of my questions when, when I came to this book is um, what is the, kind of the the standard or what is kind of what you do when you go through uh books like that and i say that in the light of seeing him going through and he really did struggle with the text you know he struggled with the text it came out as wrong you know but yeah. what is kind of like the the your 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 process or and I'm also saying this because you are an instructor at the uh, the Shepherds Institute. You know, what is kind of like that process of sitting in the chair and actually coming up with that expository sermon? Yeah, I think the, the, the biggest question that you have to wrestle with in Bible study in general, but especially in preaching, is what does the text mean? You have to interpret it. I think a lot of people will hear sermon that's uh, that's expository in name, but it but it's legitimately boring. You know, it's a data dump. It's just like a million different details about a passage, and you just kind of get to the end of it, and you just like you got all this information, and you're like, man, that was that was rough, and you can't quite put your finger on it, but you're like, man, that was just you know. There's a lot of good stuff there. It's like not no heresy. I, I think he was accurate, but I don't know that it was super helpful. I, I just can't put my finger on what it is. I'll tell you what it is. It's 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 likely the fact that the preacher never actually interpreted the passage. Hmm. He just made a bunch of observations about the passage. Hey, this word means this, this means this, this historical detail here. And, and ran through the passage and made a bunch of observations, but but never brought it all together and said, and this is what it means. Mm. This is what it means. This is the authorial intent. This gets back to what the author of Scripture was trying to communicate. This is why he said it the way he did, so that we would get this point. Uh, I'm getting ready for a sermon in John 18. John 18, 1 through 11, the arrest of Christ. And, and I think one of the things that John in John chapter 18 is trying to bring out is he's trying to magnify Christ by, by highlighting Christ's character. 
in his arrest and trial. And, and, and so now you're looking through this and saying, okay, what, what is it about Christ that John is trying to highlight? And I think in the first 11 verses, the thing that jumps out to you is his submission to the Father. You see the obedience of Christ. Philippians 2.8 says that he obeyed even to the point of death. Mm-hmm. So now you got Philippians 2.8 in your mind. You're like, okay, I know categorically Jesus obeyed to death. Mm. He literally obeyed to death. And now you read John 18, 1 through 11, and you go, wait a minute. I'm watching Jesus on the pages of Scripture. I'm watching Jesus obey to the point of death. Peter pulls out his sword, cuts off Malchus's ear, and Jesus puts it back on and says, no, I've got to submit to the will of my Father. And so now I'm saying, okay, I'm going to make all these observations. Hey, he's going to, uh, Jesus is going to cross the Kidron Valley. Here's where the Kidron Valley was. He's going to go in the garden. Here's what this garden was like. Here are these soldiers that came. Uh, it was a group of a bunch of soldiers. And here's all these things that happened. But, but as I go through all those details, I'm also giving people an interpretation. All of this comes together for the purpose of highlighting the obedience or the submission of Christ to his father. Mm. And so now this sermon becomes about the obedience of Christ. And, and then the implications for it are, are manifold, but it's not even so much Christ obeyed. Now you need to obey. It's Christ obeyed for you. And you need to believe in that obedience. And yeah, you should be more obedient like Christ, but more than anything else, you have you have to hold on to this obedience for your very salvation. And, and, um, and, and you're seeing that here and you get into the doctrine of, of justification and the imputed righteousness of Christ and the active and passive obedience of Christ. And you see all of those things unfolding right before you in the passage of scripture. And what happens is, it all comes together when you interpret the passage. All, all I have to do to introduce the passage is what I just did. Hey, this is Jesus obeying to death. Remember Philippians 2, 8 says he obeyed to death. Let's watch him obey to death. Watch him go into the garden. Watch him go. I mean, there's like, there, there, we don't know how many soldiers there were. It was, it was, it was, it could have been up to 600, probably not 600, but it may have even been a few hundred soldiers came out there to get Christ. And it's in the middle of the night, early hours, wee hours of the morning. They're making all kinds of noise. They're carrying weapons and torches. Do you think Jesus saw them coming? You know, as they're coming down the valley and Jesus is up in the garden and his disciples are taking a nap. Do you think Jesus saw them coming? Of course he did. He woke up the disciples and said, hey, guys, they're here. Wow. (laughs) I never thought of that. That's good. He could have run off. Mm. I mean, we didn't, they didn't have searchlights and search dogs or what, like he could have run off and they wouldn't have found him. Mm. He had done that before, but he didn't because he had to obey. And Mm. even more than just all the practical details of that, it says right there in John, 
that Jesus knew all things that were going to happen. He had a mm-hmm. supernatural knowledge of it all, but he didn't stop it from happening. Mm-hmm. Why? Because he had to obey. Why? Because he always obeyed his father. But in this case, why was the father making him obey to the point of death? So that we could have his death and our, and his righteousness for our salvation. And, and so now you've just interpreted the passage to say, here's what it means. John wants us to see the, the submission, the obedience of Christ. And then you just connect all those details with that main point. And then you bring out all these implications for it. And now all of a sudden, that's when expository preaching, it sings. You don't have to, you don't have to sing the conclusion. It sings for itself. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's what you want to see. You want to see uh, the 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 preaching of God's word have uh, an interpretive clarity. You, you want to walk out of that sermon saying, you know, I don't necessarily under, remember all those alliterated cheesy points that the pastor came up with, but I will never look at that passage the same way mm-hmm. because I understand it more clearly now than I than I, those are the best sermons. I've got a few sermons in my mind that I can think of that 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 were preached by my mentors, and I can't remember the outline. I can't remember the illustrations, mm-hmm. but I know every time I turn to those passages in Scripture, I understand those passages of Scripture better because at some point I heard somebody preach a powerful message from it. That's expository preaching. Mm-hmm. That's good. And uh, as you were saying all of that, I, I thought of the fact that uh, when Carlton Pearson was kind of coming up with that that heresy, really, he was pointing to himself and not scripture, because one of his main points is I can't look at scripture and come up with the fact that God actually has wrath and, and will kill, you know, anybody. It wasn't necessarily about it wasn't about Christ at all. It was about himself. It wasn't about God. It was about himself. So. That's a good yeah. point. You know, I, I like the point that you are saying that, you know, and you're reiterating that, you know, expository preaching is pointing to uh, the scripture. Um, that's great. Then you have chapter six, which is especially preaching. Um, and, you know, I think that I think more and more anything and, and you know, we could talk, you could t- probably talk about this for a while. So I won't take up all your time, but um, I think that preaching is a, you know, from what you've said, it's such a means of grace for the fact that uh, it's 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 a we're kind of getting, I would say, people are starving for expository preaching when it comes to, you know, uh, the churches that they're at now, the churches that they're looking at. It's really hard to find that some of the things that you talked about, and uh, I can't remember which chapter is one of the last chapters. Um, you were talking about uh, what to look for when it comes to. A, a church. Yeah. Can you kind of go and give like a, a a very high level uh thing of that as as we're coming to our close? Yeah, and I think you know going back to that point of especially preaching that came the, the chapter title there came from a question in the Westminster uh, uh, Catechism mm-hmm. about how is the Word of God made effectual. And and all those pastors who got together to come up with that catechism, it's not inspired, it's not perfect. I don't know how they missed the whole baptism thing, but you know, they, they were still pretty smart guys. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and what they said is how's the word made effectual in your life? Well, through the reading of God's word, but especially through the preaching. Mm-hmm. 
And, and the interesting thing about that is I found that, you know, I, I, I'm not Presbyterian. I didn't grow up Presbyterian church. So I, did, I never grew up in a church context where you would memorize a catechism or anything like that. So, so I, I, I wasn't as familiar with that as I, as I probably could have been, but I'm doing all this study and I'm like, man, preaching is like the primary means of grace. And then I come, I'm reading through this and I come across where, where in the Westminster catechism, it says the same thing. And I'm like, Whoo, I don't feel like a, a nut job here that somebody right. else said it before I did. So right. that was kind of a little bit of an homage to, Hey, somebody came up with this before I did, mm-hmm. you know? And uh, as a, as, as a guy trying to do theology, that's comforting. You know, yeah. when somebody comes up with you before you, but mm-hmm. you know, it was even before that. I mean, Jesus, what did he primarily do? He preached. Uh, the disciples, what do they do? They Act six, they're preaching and they're praying. Mm-hmm. And then they're preaching more. And you go throughout church history and all the great movements of the Lord have all been precipitated by preaching of the word of God. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's interesting. If I tell a believer, look, you need to be in the word more. Nowadays, that believer is saying, I better set a reminder on my iPhone to read my Bible alone in my personal quiet times. Mm. But but for nearly 2,000 years uh, of, of church history, most believers in the world, A, didn't have their own copy of Scripture to go read whenever they wanted to, and B, many of them, even to this day, are illiterate. Mm. And so that's part of the reason why God has designed preaching to be so important. You want to hear the Word? You go to church, you hear the Word, and then— you meditate on that truth that you heard in the preaching. Now, I don't want to go back to the day. I'm not trying to reverse William Tyndale's work and say we shouldn't have Bibles. I want right. you reading your Bible on your own. I want you doing all those things. But just remember that for nearly 2,000 years, many, and even today in many parts of the world, many believers didn't have access to Scripture the way we do. Mm-hmm. Does that mean that God wasn't giving them grace for sanctification? Nope. Uh, he designed it to be through the preaching of the Word. Mm-hmm. And 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 so all that comes back to this idea of that, hey, uh, preaching is a, a key part of your own spiritual growth. If you want to grow in the Lord, uh, then then you need to find the kind of preaching that's going to help you with that. Here's here's a couple of uh, just when I when I like to talk about preaching and people say, what should I look for? I, there's a lot that could be said, but but three things. One, good preaching is usually done in verse by verse fashion. Mm-hmm. So you're gonna you're gonna go through a book of the Bible so that you can understand it in its context. All right. I I, I know I know the podcast a little bit here, and I know you guys prioritize context. Context Absolutely. is king. Yeah, you right. Go. You got. I got a I got a little booklet on my shelf, and in big bold letters, it says, "Never read a Bible verse." And then in little tiny letters where you can barely see it, it says out of context. Yeah, that's good. You know, so so the reason why uh, most most expositors are going to spend most of their time going through books of the Bibles is so that it's in context. Mm-hmm. It's in context, right? Uh, and, and that way it's, it's rightly interpreted. Now, look, I know Christmas is coming up. A lot of guys are going to be jumping around, doing some Christmas messages. And th- that's awesome. I do those. You know, sometimes you do a, a message that's on a theme. And and so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not I'm not saying that that's wrong, but the steady diet of preaching should be verse by verse mm-hmm. right through books of the Bible. 
That's what you need to look for. Then second hallmark of good expository preaching is what I've been talking about most of the time is that the expository sermon is a text driven sermon. Mm-hmm. As it's often been said that the, the, the main point of the sermon is the main point of the text. That's expository preaching. Mm-hmm. That's expository. A lot of guys have said that I'm just copying all those guys, but what you want, if you're looking for good preaching is you want preaching that points you back to scripture. You, you want preaching that has the word notice a lot. Uh, notice this in the text hmm. or the word, look, look at this in the text here, hmm. or look at this passage. Or did you notice that you don't want the kind of preaching that does well with the lights all blacked out? You know, you go hmm. to the church to black out the lights and you're sitting in mm-hmm. the pews and you can't see, you can't see nothing. And the, not in our church, man. You got to have those lights on because mm-hmm. I want people to have their Bible open and I want them to see it right in front of them. Mm-hmm. So, so the kind of preaching I'm talking about is text driven. But then one last thing I would say look for is expository preaching is practical. Mm-hmm. So, so as you're going through scripture, you're seeing principles and implications in a text that are going to pierce your soul and guide you in daily life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's going to be filled with data about the passage, but but it's also it's also going to exhort you with the principles of the passage. Mm-hmm. And and um, and that I mean that's what God's word does. Uh, uh, it's 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 profitable for teaching, yes. Uh, but but also rebuking and correcting and training. Mm-hmm. It does all of those things. And that's why expository preaching should do all those things. It, it should have a practical impact on, on how you live your life. Uh, maybe, maybe not, uh, you know, expository sermons shouldn't say, hey, here's how you should tie your shoes. Mm-hmm. But, but expository preaching should be practically impacting the way you think about this world and the way you live your life. It's it, the, the, what I told you before that story about the lady who said, Hey, pastor, do you have to talk so much about the heart stuff? I don't want that. You need that. You mm-hmm. need that exhortation with God's word. And that's what a good sermon is going to do. A good sermon is going to say, here, here's the passage. Here's what it says. And then here's the passage. Here's what it means. So I give you all the data and then I give you the interpretation and then a good sermon is going to say, and here's what it requires from you. Here's what you need to believe. Here's what you need to hold on to when you're struggling in your faith or you're struggling with anxiety or you're struggling with sorrow, whatever. Here, here's here's what you need to be faithful to the Lord mm-hmm. uh, and and exhorts God's people with that. That's that's kind of preaching you want to find uh, if you're if you're. At Bellcroft Bible Church, that's the kind of preaching you get. Uh, if mm-hmm. you're not, if you're in the area near Bowie, uh, <laughs> and you're not going to Bellcroft Bible Church, what what are you doing munching on uh, uh, old French fries when you could be getting a, a five course meal every Sunday mm-hmm. at Bellcroft Bible? Um, you know, that's, that's what, that's what our hearts need to be under the uh, word of God in that kind of way. Yeah. Uh, we, we call it T-bones and taters. That's what we call it. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what we call it. T-bones and taters. And, and, you know, I, I, I appreciate, uh, I appreciate the book. I mean, it was a, it was a good summary. So all this stuff that I had been hearing and understanding, um, for me, especially coming from, 
the charismatic word of faith, blabbing and grab it, you know, uh, setting coming into Belcroft, uh, one is a culture shock, you know, that's the biggest thing. And <laughs> what I mean by culture shock is that, you know, being under such rich teaching, you know, week in and week out is, you know, obviously it was tough. It's tough to digest, but then, um, as I, you know, went along, it, it became a lot easier, um, and a lot yeah. more convicting and, and helpful. Um, but I think that the idea that the book for me, your book for me really helped was it was, it's basically, it's like the expository sanctification, like living the life that you are actually hearing week in and week out. You know, we have men's Bible study, we have, you know, the sermons, you know, each Sunday, yeah. and it's a consistent word coming from the pulpit, no matter if it's Matt, if it's, you know, one of our elders that is speaking, um, or, you know, he has a special guest, like a couple of weeks ago, we had Lance Quinn come in, we've had Todd Murray, uh, we've had yeah. uh, my boy, my boy, LQ. Yeah. And we also had uh, uh, Pastor uh, Kerry uh, from from uh, Wisdom Salem come yeah. through. I mean, and, and George and yourself, obviously. I mean, it's it's a consistent thing. And the, the, the biggest thing that I have seen is that it's coming from Scripture. Like it's not coming yeah. from your opinion. And of course, people have different styles, uh, different time limits on their sermons. Uh, <laughs> I, I, had to, I had to throw that one in there. Uh, but, you know, it's it's I know it's but the thing about it is it's a consistent message because it's coming from Scripture. So uh, very appreciative yeah. as we close. And that's, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, no. One last thing I'll, I'll throw in there before you, you, you say what you're going to say is that, yeah, I mean, most Christians, no matter what kind of church they go to, they're going to listen to potentially thousands of sermons in their life. Mm -hmm. And, and I wrote the book so that you'd know what to do with that. Mm -hmm. If you're a Christian and you've listened to all kinds of sermons and you're like, I don't really get it. Why are we doing this? And you've never really thought about why preaching, why, why are we doing this? Why do we show up to church? I mean, it, it, interestingly, even in superficial pragmatic churches, they haven't gotten rid of the sermon. They still do it. Yeah. You know? So why don't, why do all these Christians have to listen to all these sermons? What's the deal with that? Um, the book tries to answer that question and then show you not just why, but then how you can most benefit from preaching in your own life. Cause that's what I want. I think God's designed for people to grow under the faithful preaching of the word of God. And I want people to experience that because I mean, that's, that's something that's changed my life. I've seen it change lots of other people's lives. And, um, you know, that, that's the heart behind the book is to help people understand how to how to make use of that sermon that got to listen to if you got if you're going to be show up and listen to it you might as well know what's going on yeah definitely definitely well yeah um as we close uh what i always ask uh for is for whoever i'm with um especially the pastors uh to give us uh the gospel of jesus christ and that's usually how we we end everything so if you could uh just take a few moments and and you know give us the gospel of jesus christ yeah, you know, I, I mentioned John 18 and my heart's there because I'm I'm working on a sermon from there. And I think from that obedience of Christ, you see the very essence of the message of the gospel. Uh, we need the obedience of Christ because uh, we failed in our obedience to God, which, of course, the Bible calls sin. Our sin is rebellion against God. And each and every one of us is guilty of the sin. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
And, and the wages of that sin is death. We deserve punishment. We deserve wrath. And when you sin against an infinite God, you deserve infinite punishment. And, and that's exactly what, uh, apart from Christ, we would receive in hell. Uh, that's what we deserve. That's the just penalty for our sin and our lack of obedience. But of course, the, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus did not leave us in our sins and lacking obedience. Uh, but he came into this world, John 3.16 says, as a demonstration of God's love for us. And he lived a life of perfection that we were commanded to live, but we should have lived, but we did not live. And then even though he was perfect in all things, he died on the cross to pay the penalty for the sins that we had committed, not his, uh, not him. And, and so through his obedience, a life of perfect righteousness, obedience, and through his obedience all the way to the death, to his death on the cross, we now can be saved through his work and by trusting not in our own obedience, not in his good works. If somebody told uh, if someone told one of our listeners that if they just do more good works than bad works, they could go to heaven, uh, that's a false gospel. That's a lie. You could never do that. What could any sinner do to put themselves in debt to God? And the answer is nothing. There's nothing that you could do to earn your salvation. There's no obedience that you could offer in your own to, to pay for your sins. The only thing you can do is trust in the obedience of Christ. Trust in his righteousness in your place. Trust in his work on the cross, that, that he has made the, the payment for sins that we need. That's what we must trust and believe. And you know what? Uh, we can believe that because Jesus didn't just die. He was raised from the dead. He was raised for our justification, Romans 4 says, and as a demonstration that his sacrifice was sufficient. Uh, his obedience on the cross is able to save us to the uttermost and and to secure that he's even now interceding for his people to ensure our safe passage all the way to eternity. And, and so all of that means that if you trust in Christ, you can have salvation. You can be made right with God. You can have every one of your sins that you've ever committed up to this point and that you'll ever commit in the future forgiven by God in Christ Jesus, if you will just repent and believe in Christ. That's the word gospel means good news. That is the very best news that anyone could ever receive. Amen. Thank you uh, so much for that. And uh, thank you for coming on and uh, giving us a little bit of conversation around uh, the book. I'll, like I said, I'll Try to put a link in there. Uh, Expository sanctification is the name of it uh, by Paul Shirley. And uh, yeah. how can how can someone, if they wanted to, like interact with you? Do you? you I know you have a, a Twitter account because I've uh, messed with you on Twitter account before on your Twitter. Yeah, you can you can find me on social media. Uh, you know, I'm not on there too all that often. Yeah. I get on there, and I if I see if I see somebody that I love and respect like you, uh, take a little jab at me. I get a good laugh out of that, and I respond yeah. back, and I love it. But, uh, um, and then, um, you know, some guys in our church started a, a website. Uh, Informing your faith is the name of the website. Uh, it's informingyourfaith.org. Uh, and it's got uh, uh, it's got a contact uh, 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 function there 
that you can go on and, and if you got a question for me or uh, you need some resources or, or something like that, uh, you can go on on that informingyourfaith.org and you can contact me through that. It's also got a number of other uh, resources from my writing. I'll, I post articles on there kind of, uh, I'm, I'm an infrequent blogger. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not really good at, at doing the, the, you know, kind of the IV drip of blogs, just like, you know, one every day. I usually just ruminate on something and then drop a big one. And then it's like once a month or something like that. So, mm-hmm. uh, but, but it's kind of a repository of just kind of some of the stuff that I'm working on. Uh, it's a good way to get a hold of me. It's a good way to see uh, some of those resources uh, so, so you can hop on there and see what some of our guys are are putting together on that side. Informing your faith is the name of that. Sounds good. Try to put a link in that as well. Well, we uh, our podcast we we call it a tri weekly podcast. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Every every week we try to do something, and if it comes out, yeah. it comes out. So, yeah. Well, thanks yeah, again. Uh, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So. Well, thanks again for coming on, and uh, thank you all for listening to the Truth Talks podcast. Uh, We'll see you next time. Take care. Hey, thank you for listening to the Truth Talks podcast. Please reach out to us via Twitter at The Truth Talks P1, via Instagram, The Truth Talks Podcast, or you can email at The Truth Talks Podcast at gmail.com. Please visit our website as well, BellcroftBibleChurch.org. Click on the Ministries tab and click Truth Talks Podcast. Thank you all so much for listening. Delighting in the word that we might walk in the truth. The Truth Talks podcast is a ministry of Belcroft Bible Church in Bowie, Maryland.